comes, it's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode 40 of Nashville Untold, and thank you for tuning in. Today in the Rambler, I'll be hosting Quante Tombs. I think that you always have to hold on to this sense that things can be better. As long as you are breathing, you can impact your life. And so I would tell people to, to hold on to hope. We all experience different things, you know, as a child who, you know, grew up you know, in poverty, there were a lot of bad days, but there were some good days too. And I knew that if I kept going, things would get better. Quante graduated in 2001 from Vanderbilt University with a Bachelor of Arts in African-American Studies. She also attained the status of magna cum laude. In 2004, she graduated from Vanderbilt University Law School. In 2008, she attained her MBA with a concentration in finance and strategy from Emory University. She also has a Master of Laws in Tax from the University of Alabama. She is a practicing attorney for 15 years with over 10 years of government practice experience, including writing and analyzing over 100 pieces of legislation. Community leader, founding board member of the Equity Alliance, she is also the founding board member of the Equity Alliance, president of the Equity Alliance Fund, second year director of the Lawyers Association for Women, Marion Griffin Chapter, and she's past president of the Napier Louis Bar Association, and also the Rosebank Elementary PTA president. She's a recipient of numerous community and professional awards. Currently, she is running for council person of District 2 which is the Haynes Trinity area in North Nashville. I hope I worded all that correctly. <laughs> I uh, It took me, um, I don't know, five and a half, six years maybe to get a business degree. Um, and then it took me another, I don't know, year and a half to, uh, to get my junior English class finished once I graduated college. <laughs> so anyways, I didn't know somebody could have so many degrees and masters and all that stuff. So... Um, I, I, I probably stumbled and fumbled over some of those words, and uh, but hopefully it all made sense. A big takeaway is that she is a very, very established and smart woman in Nashville. I definitely enjoyed hanging out with her, getting to hear some of her story. I think you will enjoy it as well. So here you go. Hello, Nashville. Today I am hanging out with Quante Tombs, and we are sitting in front of the farmer's market. And a uh, great place you picked because I got to go in there and hang out and have some uh, lunch. Huh? I love the uh, the Euro sandwich yes, plates, yes, and, yes. and they're really good. So thank you for joining me in the Rambler. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Mariah Cole, who was a, a previous guest, um, yeah, last now year. Williams. Yes, Williams, Mariah Williams. Um, she, I've reached out to her. I'm like, hey, do you know some people? You know, I know she's out and about. And so she, she threw your name and a couple other people. Mm -hmm. So I um, always like to connect the dots, you know. So um, we are going to dive into some of your story. Okay. So let's start out with giving me a snippet of what excites you to get out of bed every day. 
trying to make a difference and my kids. So I have uh, four children. I have a 19-year-old stepdaughter. I have uh, also a seven-year-old daughter, five and three-year-old sons. Nice. So quite a busy household. So just um, making sure they have the best life. I'm really involved with them. I'm the president of the PTA at their school. (laughs) And that's just my way of of being involved in their lives and and making their... uh, academic experiences and enriching as possible along with you know the other other kids in the school so so it's a way to i get to kill two birds with one stone with that one I, I get to be involved with my kids and also making a difference in the school um also you know through my work i work for the state so you know protecting okay. the public uh, i work in healthcare. okay so protecting the health and safety of the public is my goal every day mm-hmm. and also i'm very involved in the community i'm running for city council right now district two which is um north nashville Okay. Yeah, trying to make a difference and and momming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when you said what'd you say, three two, boys, two the age, boys. Yes. What are the for the the youngest? The youngest is three. Okay. So when you said that, I was thinking, wait, do you not want to just stay in the bed some morning? <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a eleven, nine, and a four year old. Okay. You know? And. Uh, yeah, so they, they keep you busy. Yeah, there's there's no staying in the bed option. Uh, 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 there's not, there's not. Uh, but I sure love being able because a lot of times in the mornings I'm around because I'm working from the house, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm just like Natalie will text me. I'll be out in my shed quarters. Hudson's up. I'm like, Girl. she's like, how'd you get here so quick? <laughs> I'm like, cause I love hugging on that little boy, you know. All right, so uh, so let's start out with your years living in Hammond, Louisiana. How did that time begin to shape and mold you as a kid? Okay, so um, born and raised in Hammond. Well, that's where I spent from like birth to 12, mm-hmm. um, 11 or 12. So my mom was actually, my mom and dad were actually very young mm-hmm. when they had me. Uh, my mom was a senior in high school. My dad was a freshman in college. I'm the oldest of four kids. And so we struggled a lot growing up. And so... I would say growing up in Hammond, being exposed to, you know, poverty, we never really had like stable housing. So it really uh, developed that grit Mm -hmm. inside of me to succeed and get out of that situation. Our parents were very, you know, you need to get your education. That's how you'll make Mm -hmm. it out of poverty. So they really stressed that and didn't accept subpar Mm -hmm. (laughs) academic performance from me or my siblings. So developing that grit, really having a a passion for folks who don't have anything, Mm -hmm. because I was one of those folks Mm -hmm. growing up and wanting to find solutions to um, the issues that people who live in poverty face. Mm -hmm. And also that's where most of my family is. So got a lot of uh, love and, and support. And that's that's my home base. I've been in Nashville my entire adult life, but Hammond still feels like mm-hmm. my my home base. So it's like right in between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. It is like right. almost an equal distance. Yeah. About forty five minutes either way, you can get to Baton Rouge or or New Orleans. But okay. um, yeah. So that's that's where my family is. Um, just my initial, just you know, having concern for the community and people around me. I'd say that my siblings were my first set of kids Mm because I've always, you know, watched out for them as we were growing up and and just making sure that we all, I guess, got over the hump and Mm -hmm. and, and got out of our our situation. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, All right, so uh, what was going through your mind when you were starting a new journey to Decatur, Georgia? 
So we uh, always tell people I lived in Atlanta, but I did live in Decatur, but no one knows Decatur. So right. you like, say like Atlanta. Nashville. I live in Mount Juliet, <laughs> Nashville. Yeah. 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 Uh, but that was the, the big city. My dad actually, for a period of time, went to the University of Georgia, which is in Athens. But he had an uh, and still does an affinity for Georgia. OK. And so we moved to the big city uh, for a new life. That is where I spent my teenage years. But my my dad was really strict. So I can't <laughs> I didn't really I wasn't really out and about in the city of Atlanta. But that's where I went to, you know, middle and high school. Uh, was very active in the community in high school, uh, developed some early activism Okay. while I was in high school. Um, one interesting story, I, used, I was on the school newspaper when I was in high school, and a friend of mine uh, wrote an article, and I can't remember the exact name of the article, but it was something like, don't believe the hype. But basically, it was about what folks would call today microaggressions. Uh, and so we wrote about being, you know, because we were in all the advanced classes. And so it was a majority black high school. But when you did the AP classes and advanced mm-hmm. classes, it was majority white. OK. And so we were in mostly majority white spaces most of the time. And some questions, you know, we both had, you know, straight permed hair at the time. But, you know, how do you get Afro puffs or how do you just things that we were presumed to know because we were black and it was kind of annoying to us at the time. We were both 16 when we wrote the article. And so we wrote this article, you know, about so that was a test that asked those questions. No, no, no. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. White classmates. Okay. Who are our, oh, who are okay, our friends. Okay, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> so the article was based on it's, the friends asking. Yes. And so okay. we wrote an article about how we felt when folks asked this oh, question. Also, yes, there were yes. some issues going on in the school that we felt uh, were discriminatory. And there was a huge blowback. Okay. Of, of, based on that article, you know, reverse race, racism. Uh, a lot of students were very upset. But then we did get a lot of like support from it. But that's just a kind of a, an experience that stands out of my mind mm-hmm. as being some early activism on my part. And right. you know, that we took a big risk writing that article. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to stir the pot a yeah. little bit. Right. Yeah. And you never know what's going to come of it. Hopefully yeah. some good stuff. Yeah. So how was it? Well, and you said your dad, he was going to college, right? Whenever you were yes, young. Yes, but so he, he, he didn't get a chance to finish. Okay. okay. So. I was about to say, that was a lot of push being young and yeah. having a kid. Yeah. So that's probably one of the reasons why he was so motivated to keep right, you on right. track. Right, right. Like, yeah. He he and my mom always felt that, you know, had they finished college, they would have been better off financially. So mm-hmm. they wanted to make sure that we yeah. went to college because they felt like that would set us up. Right. To be successful financially. Right. So how were, which I guess you, you kind of talked about some of the 10 years, but what were some of the factors that led you to go to college? Was it just your, a lot of push from your dad? It was just ingrained in your mind, like, I'm going to college. It was, yeah, that was pretty much ingrained from probably birth that, you know, you make good grades, keep your head in the books, uh, go to college, mm-hmm. you'll be successful. Also, being in advanced classes, it's in school and being um, I was in a gifted program, those teachers encouraged you to go to college. Mm -hmm. Right. I went to a small high school, so there was more of an emphasis on going to small schools. And so Vanderbilt was not on the radar of of my guidance counselor, but um, it's a school that I came across and, Mm -hmm. and liked and applied to. 
But yeah, going to college has it's just been ingrained in me and everyone, adults around me. Did all your siblings go? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my one of my siblings, uh, my brother who's under me, he first went to the military. So he's a Navy veteran. Uh, he recently went back to school and got a degree in film. And then my younger two siblings, they both have um, bachelor's and master's degrees. Okay. So we all went to college. <laughs> <laughs> I barely made it. But it was funny. It was it was like my dad, which he he did some schooling, but I don't know if he got associates or what, but he mm-hmm. was an engineer or draftsman or something. He did mm-hmm. well. And my mom did some maybe in a two-year business degree, too. But yeah. I think it was a lot of – I graduated with 13 people. Mm-hmm. And actually, out of the 13, I mean, we had a really high percentage of people that went to college. Okay. So it was kind of like – you know, my dad's like, you got to go to school. I was like, okay, I'll go. And, and I, I'm glad I went. I mean, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, maybe drank too much. <laughs> <I'm a wife. laughs> College was a fun experience. Now, you graduated but with 13 people? I did. Yeah. So it okay. was, uh, so I'm from El Dorado, Arsenal. Okay. So, okay. Um, El Dorado's bigger, but there was little schools all outside, which are all consolidated or gone now. Okay. But uh, yeah, it was 300 people and it was okay. K, through, K through 12. Okay. Okay. So it was almost like a little private school. Okay. But, I got you. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I was never serious in college. Like, I don't know what it would be like to be just, <laughs> I worked a lot, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I did just enough to get by. Ah, <laughs> oh, I got you. I and got I regretted you. it forever. Well, yeah, I kind of did, you know, that I was not serious and, yeah. you know, didn't. I've always been com- that. competitive academically. Okay. So mm. I had my own personal drive to do well because yes. I, I wanted to be the best. I don't know where that came from, but that's just how, <laughs> how I, I it is, It's funny to me because I never had that drive. <laughs> now, if you got me when I was working, I would outwork people. Mm. So from a manual labor, like catching on quick, like mm-hmm. I would have a drive to like, how efficient can I get? Okay. You know, but it never equated to schooling. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess there's different drives, you know. Um, all right, so in July 97, I went on my first date with my future wife to see Face Off. You had Nashville and the Commodores on your mind. So talk to me about the excitement of entering that new stage in your life. Entering college, it was a different experience. It was my first time being by myself. So being the oldest of four kids, there's, you know, six folks It's always loud and hot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And so going to Vanderbilt and uh, the particular dorm I stayed in, there were single rooms. So that's my first time in a very long time, Mm -hmm. you know, having space to myself. Also, just meeting people from all over the country. That was my first time doing that. And even and discovering, like, even within, like, the African-American community that there were some differences depending on what part of the Mm -hmm. country you grew up in, like, there were some folks who had never heard of grits and it's like, what's wrong with you? Like, you're so it's weird. It's funny. I think I was thinking grits, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you're so weird. And then, you know, things that were commonplace in Nashville, um, like back home, if you say you're having a barbecue, that means you're having ribs and mm-hmm. other barbecue stuff. Here, it's pulled pork. And right. I was like, yeah. so that was just, just weird. Just like little, like cultural things were, were a little strange to me, but uh, it was exciting to just meet different people from all over different socioeconomic backgrounds um and at that time was vandy pretty diverse in culture i'll say one thing when i was looking at colleges 
I did not want to go to like a, a Harvard or a Yale for undergrad because I didn't want to be around snooty people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and my exposure to Vanderbilt at that time was Black Student Weekend, okay, which is very culturally diverse in those times. And so I came when, when I came to, I guess, what welcome weekend or mm-hmm. freshman move in weekend and, you know, got to interact with some more people and discover that there is a large snooty population. It's right. <laughs> like, oh, well, OK. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 and so it's more diverse now. It it wasn't as diverse as it could have been mm-hmm. in 97. Um, and there had been students who, you know, 20, 30 years before who had been working on, you know, making it more diverse and equitable for mm-hmm. um, students of color. And so those those uh, conversations and um, issues were still going on when I came there, but I always felt comfortable mm-hmm. there. I mean, that's why I chose to go to school there. I developed my circle of friends, uh, joined a sorority, was really active in a bunch of different organizations. And so it really gave me an opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different things. I was a chancellor scholar, and part of that was you got money to study abroad. So I got to study abroad in Ghana for six weeks. And so just experiences like that really shaped Mm -hmm. who I am. And so I wouldn't trade those four years for anything. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, my wife, she did six weeks in Europe. And I always tell a funny story. I've probably told it on here before. I was determined to go as well because she was gone. I wanted to go to Europe. And I had to put a $300 deposit down um, to go. And something made me realize, like her parents were paying for it. And I was going into debt probably every every month I was living in college. And so I'm like, something said, you don't need to do that. You can't do that. So I decided not to do it. <laughs> it was tough because she's going to go, you know, to Europe for yeah, six weeks. I'm like, yeah. I want to go. And, uh, and and by the time I said, I told the person over it, I said, yeah, I, I can't go. You know, I need to get my deposit back. Mm-hmm. And apparently they had already deposited it. And then next thing I know, I had five checks that bounced. <laughs> so it was a good thing I didn't go. <laughs> And so instead, I worked about 100 to 120 hours a week. Oh, wow. Two jobs. Wow. Like, it was insane. And I paid off a bunch of credit card debt. Hey, that's And then I was able to rack it back up. So it worked (laughs) out well. (laughs) You know. That was the story of my life. (laughs) Sometimes it takes several times to learn. Yeah, it does. It does. Do things. All right. So uh, what was the motivating factor in getting your MBA? Um, And why did you choose Emory? So I was practicing here in Nashville um, and really got in, I had some corporate clients. I was in private practice at that time and really had an interest in business. So I started taking some courses, started taking courses at MTSU and I took some at Belmont. And a friend of mine was in evening classes at uh, Emory. And so we talked and I found out there was a one year accelerated program. Okay. And so I looked into it. I was like, hmm, I can take a year off and just knock this out and be mm-hmm. done. Um, the competitiveness and you're like, yes. Yes. I can like I can, I can do this. And so, you know, quit my job, went back to school. And that was like right before the market crash. Oh, really? <laughs> so I went back in uh, the summer of 2018 and then, you know, September. I'm not 2018. Okay. 2008. <laughs> Yes, uh, 2008. Not last year, no. Right, right. I was like, well, it's still doing pretty good. <laughs> the summer of Although it has slowed down a little bit. It yeah. has. 
And then September 2008 was with the Bear Stearns and all that stuff um, oh, yeah. happened. But yeah, it was just, I thought it was a, a great opportunity to go to a really mm-hmm. good school. Just a one-year commitment that can be mm-hmm. done fairly quickly. I didn't think it would hurt me career-wise to take right. that time off. Yeah. So that's what I did. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So after getting your master's degree, what led you back to Middle Tennessee? When I was in Atlanta, I met my, well, reconnected with my now husband. We went to high school together. And so initially I was going to try to stay in Atlanta. Uh, The market was really bad. Uh, And so all of my network was here in Nashville. And Mm -hmm. also I spent my, like I said, my entire adult life in Nashville. So Nashville is like my second home. It's, it's, It's my comfort zone. So I was like, I'm coming back to Nashville and the then fiance agreed that he would come with me, so that made things so that was easier. that was the reason you went to Emory and you didn't even know, right? To I meet know, your did, I had no idea. Yeah. So did when the economy, um, you know, failed then? Did that affect in law as well? Did it affect a lot of careers and stuff? Oh yes, like that? a lot of okay. people were laid off. Uh, a lot of folks had been promised jobs, and firms no longer felt they had the work or the money mm-hmm. to pay them, so offers were rescinded. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So it definitely affected legal work. So he uh, he followed you to. He Nashville, followed me huh? back to Nashville. Never lived here before. Lived in Atlanta his whole life, and came with me. Yeah. To Nashville. There you go. All right. So shout out to one of your favorite restaurants and favorite nonprofits, and why? Uh, one of my favorite restaurants. I actually have not been in a while, but um, Virago. Mm-hmm. I love sushi. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of my favorite foods, and so and I just like the atmosphere there. Mm-hmm. My favorite nonprofit, I probably am not allowed to say anything other than the Equity Alliance. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the founding board members for the Equity Alliance. I've been there since the very beginning, uh, before we even had a name, and we're in that planning, in the planning stages. Um, it's just a really awesome organization. We're um, really in the communities trying to make a difference and trying to get folks engaged in um, by registering to vote and turning mm-hmm. out to vote as well as being involved in what issues are important to our community so shout out to the equity okay. alliance there you go well yeah you have to do that yeah. <laughs> um, all right so what and what has been your main practice in law and uh, why did you choose that direction uh, my main practice ha- is in the healthcare sphere. So I work for government. So uh, I do a lot of regulatory work. I advise licensing boards. I actually manage a team of attorneys that um, advises the boards that oversee different facility types, emergency okay. medical services, pharmacies. What led me to the law when I was a kid and learning about the civil rights movement, uh, it seemed like the lawyers were the folks who were really involved in uh, getting things changed that liberty came when the law changed. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to be involved in that. Didn't know that my current practice even existed. When I went to law school, I wanted to be a public defender. Went to Vanderbilt, which at that time, it was very corporate. Mm-hmm. So it was like, go with the corporate way and make all this money. And so kind of shifted my focus, but I've ended back into the public sphere as okay. far as you know helping out the everyday folks in Tennessee mm-hmm. uh, and I'm very happy with that wouldn't change it for anything and so I've just always wanted to be a lawyer and that sounds cheesy yeah, I was about to say at what age did you I was do you think it kind of probably like nine really yeah I've always wanted to be a lawyer and never like because sometimes I think I'd go get my eyes checked and I'm like I want to be a, a 
optometrist, right? <laughs> or I'd go do something else. I want to do this, and I want to design cars. Like I was never, mm-hmm. I was kind of all over the place. For maybe a split second, I wanted to be a doctor when I was younger, but it's always been consistent mm-hmm. that I wanted to be a lawyer. Oh, I wanted to be a Olympic sprinter. Okay. Uh, so. Okay. <laughs> Nice. So I did have that dream. I always but. wanted to be a race car driver. And that's why I have to watch out with driving this because I still drive. Like, <laughs> I'm like, it's a great marketing piece or not. All right. So now talk to me about the move to Haynes Trinity um, area in District 2. Why did you choose that location? So um, Haynes Trinity area has a lot of uh, important um, African-American history. Um, it's a historically African-American part of town. Uh, when I was looking to move back to Davidson County, I've always uh, either gone to school or worked in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And so in all of my community activities, every entertainment, everything is here in Nashville. So I wanted to move back closer to the city and I wanted to move to an area where I can have some impact. Mm-hmm. And so really in looking at the development that's going around the city and you know neighborhoods kind of you know being gentrified Mm -hmm. and folks being pushed out i really saw an opportunity to move into um district two and be a part of maintaining the culture and the integrity of the neighborhoods in the area so randomly a a listing popped up it was a kind of one of those like too good to be true Mm kind of deals and and we jumped on it and and we're here and and happy to be here in in district two yeah well so like in moving there and like how are you how are you able to make a, a difference like you know getting people involved like what does that look like so getting involved means they're um like there's the haynes trinity neighborhood coalition and so I've been involved in that organization. And basically its job is to, or its goal is to basically bring to the forefront issues that are important to the community. So that could be bringing in different speakers who can answer the community's questions. There was a meeting with the mayor and folks were able to ask questions directly mm-hmm. of, of the mayor. If there's a issue, uh, for example, there was a issue with a grease plant that wanted to move from one location in the district to another. And so there were some environmental Mm. uh, concerns on the part of the community uh, as far as noise, how's that going to affect the land? Um, And in our area of town, things that nobody else wants tends to get dumped in Mm. our district. And so there are a lot of concerns surrounding it. And that coalition really worked hard to advocate on behalf of the community mm. in terms of that situation. There have been others too. There was some land that was up for sale and that coalition advocated on behalf of the community. And so that's a way of being involved. Also, um, you know, through the Equity Alliance and getting people mm-hmm. engaged in the civic process, uh, making sure they're aware of what issues are going on that directly impact them. And so those are a couple of ways that I've gotten involved in that particular community and also running for council, Mm -hmm. trying to provide the leadership that I feel like we need at this time to protect our neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and protect the integrity of our neighborhoods, but still have economic development and move forward just on our own terms. Right, right. Yeah, it makes sense because I guess, you know, if you have people that are just hanging out and seeing change happening, but not aware that, right. hey, I could actually get involved and make a difference. Absolutely. So someone like you, you know, makes awareness that, hey, you can make a difference. Right. And the key is getting 
empowering the community, mm-hmm. not just speaking for them, but getting everyone in the community to feel empowered that they can speak up mm-hmm. for themselves. So how does how in that area? Because, yeah, you know, you've had East Nashville transitioning. You've had the nations. Mm-hmm. Well, you've had every every area. Pretty much every, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, and then that one now as well. Like, how do you work with like builders and new construction? Is there like mm-hmm. certain criteria they have to meet, you know, as far as teardowns or rehabs or you know what I mean like is there so part of that as well is that more with kind of the office you're running for like would that have more influence in that or I think as a council person you do have some influence in that most of the time if there's a project coming to your area someone reaches out to you as the council person and as a council person your job is to keep your community informed so Mm -hmm. basically going around at different parts of the district informing people of what's going on and allowing them to have input mm-hmm. um so that there so if there's some contention you know about it on on the front end and i think that as a developer no one wants to go into a community where everybody hates their goods right. so it's really beneficial to see if you could get some community buy-in mm-hmm. and there can be some type of agreement so that your project goes forward as smoothly as possible and the community feels like they're actually benefiting from you being there which is really important as i'm thinking too of trusting your council right council hey what's the terminology i just said council person person. yeah (laughs) um because you know if you got a council person that is biased towards this like are they given the accurate information are they really on their right. side right in letting this person come in or is it more of a money so that balance i'm, I'm sure is super right. important there yeah i don't you know I'll, i've never really been much into politics mm-hmm. and really from an educational standpoint you know like really like because I, I so i would be one that would be like all right i know how to make an impact as far as like getting involved and there's so much you can do but from that standpoint of mm-hmm. like really right in your community when right. a development's coming in, it's like being educated and like, all right, what are the next steps? Like, right. who do I reach out to? Who right. do I, you know? Because there's so many uh, hoops that a developer has to jump through um, as far as like going to the plan before the planning mm-hmm. commission, before you even get to the council. And so there's a lot of opportunities for the community to have input. And if you have a strong council person, that person can make sure mm-hmm. that you do um or at least that you have the opportunity to participate in the process and right. have your voice heard. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so um, what you hit on this a little bit, maybe you have something else to add. Uh, I said share with me uh, your passion for the Equity, Al- Equity Alliance and mm-hmm. how that organization is making an impact in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Do you think you answered that? Um, I think so. I, I have a strong, you know, pa- obviously um, passion for the Equity Alliance. I've been there since the beginning. Um, we've had a tremendous impact on the community this last election season we registered over 80,000 people and so i don't think you can um underestimate mm-hmm. you know how important that is and and we're still like on the ground grinding trying to get people uh, more involved and trying to um address issues that are important to our community so I can't put into words how passionate mm-hmm. passionate I am. It's it's um, an organization that's near and dear to my heart and probably will be for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. All right. Well said. Tell me about a person or persons that have had a huge Im- influence on your life um, and who or what now is influencing you. From a professional standpoint, I would say um, there's an attorney in town, Andrea Perry. 
who I've known since I was in law school. She's um, a little bit, a few years older than me, but I've known her since I was in law school. Uh, just very sharp, uh, working mom, uh, who's very involved in the community, does a million different things. She says that I'm doing more than her now. I don't know how true that is. Uh, but just seeing her like juggle everything and everybody loves Andrea and she's very well respected. And uh, you know, if she's on some, on a project that is gonna be well done. Uh, and so that's just been a model for me being a, a working mom who's very involved, mm -hmm. uh, just making sure that if I'm putting my name on something that is top notch. Uh, from a personal perspective, probably my family um my grandmother has been um a big influence in my life as far as knowing the importance of family and taking care of family uh, i'll say my dad as far as stressing how important education is how important it is to be able to communicate and be comfortable with people from all walks of life mm -hmm. um that has been big for me um in being able to reach out to people in the community uh, no matter where they are, mm -hmm. um, I guess on the social hierarchy or whatever. Right. And then probably my siblings, as far as, again, you know, family, and they, they've always got my back, and, you know, no matter what, they're there. Um, and just having that sense of responsibility uh, for them, um, I guess it built an early sense of being accountable, mm -hmm. which carries over into, you know, my life now right um yeah so do you bounce um you know ideas and stuff off of oh, what'd you say her name was andrea andrea, andrea. Mm -hmm. do you do you like is she kind of some sounding board you know just throughout life yes. kind of i'm running for council what do you think <laughs> hopefully so right so, I'm, like, I'm like is this thing gonna come by or not let's give it a second it's kind of the, you know, sometimes it gets a little too obnoxious, right? It's like, all right, outside camper, you mm -hmm. got to embrace the atmosphere. But um, but yeah, I definitely bounce yeah. ideas off of Andrea. Any like major professional decisions, mm -hmm. I shoot her an email or a text. What mm -hmm. do you think about this particular situation? Yeah. So yeah, she's, she's good for that. Yeah, that's important to have. Um, all right, so all right, let's switch gears and talk about family. Okay. Um, how'd you meet your husband, and how did he propose? Or maybe you proposed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, that does happen sometimes, right? So I actually met my husband in high school. I was a freshman, and he was a junior. As I told you before, my father was very strict, so mm -hmm. that romance did not last long because <laughs> I really wasn't allowed to have boyfriends. Uh, we both ran track in high school but lost touch after he graduated. Uh, so fast forward to January of 2009 and back when people were using MySpace. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And the pictures would pop up like someone you may know. And so his picture popped up. I was like, I know him. I wonder if he still remembers me and sent him a message wow. and he did uh -huh. and the rest is history really y'all started talking and then that's started crazy. talking yeah we went on a couple of dates and here uh -huh. we are married so how did he how did he propose we had a non-traditional proposal okay and so um we talked about getting married and basically like agreed that we were gonna get married and started planning and we were um going to didn't do the traditional ring thing, but I had a bridal shower planned and my only requirement was to have a ring mm -hmm. for my bridal shower. 
And so we had gone because we had, you know, combined finances and all the kind of stuff. So I knew where all the money was going. And so I knew that the ring should have been purchased and paid for based off my budget. (laughs) And then he tells me, he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't have enough money. And I'm like, how is this even possible? Like, what are you talking about? And so I have just, at that moment, I'm just like shut down. Like, this is, I can't tell you the words that were going through my mind. Right, right. Okay. (laughs) So we're walking through a parking lot and he's giving me, he's saying some things. I'm not really paying attention because I'm upset because I'm trying to understand why there's no ring. Right. And so when I finally look his direction, he's on one Mm. knee with the ring. And he was like, he was trying to like trick me. And right. then at the restaurant, he would do the whole proposal thing, but he felt like we wouldn't make it to the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> he just did it in the so you lot. So, but you, know, you had no idea he was going, or you thought he'd propose in a restaurant? Or he would? No, just... he was going to. Okay, okay. But he felt like we weren't going so to he, make he it. So he tried to throw mad. you off. Yes. Instead, he like was about to throw everything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's too funny. <laughs> oh. So, uh, and then you obviously forgave him. Of course, yeah, yeah hammering. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, um, so you have been and are super involved with several nonprofits and organizations. How do you find the balance of being involved and in making sure your family's a priority? Um, do you involve them in some of the organizations? I try to. Most of the organizations that I'm in, like. For example, professional organizations meet during the day. Okay. So I have a very flexible lunch <laughs> schedule so that I can attend those meetings. And I work extra time if, if I have to at work. Uh, the PTA allows me to combine family mm-hmm. and involvement. If there's something that I can take my children to, I, I do on occasion. My three-year-old is very feisty and active. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's his public appearances are, are limited. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but good, I try, good choice. <laughs> I try to be mindful of my time so that I'm still like, I don't miss any of the big things with, mm-hmm. with my kids. You know, I may not make every dance practice, but I'm at every recital, right. every performance. Uh, so I make sure I do that. Evening obligations, I try not to do more than, you know, right now it's not possible because I'm campaigning, mm-hmm. but... I try not to do more than one or two nights where I have something to do in the evening so that I'm home uh, with my kids. And then, you know, weekends I try to have for them. Right. Right. So it's it's, it's a delicate balance. Sometimes it tips one way or the right. other. But, you know, you try to. And then somebody gets you back in line a yeah. little bit. You know, yeah. kids are pointing out, you know, this or that. So. Right. Yeah. They're smart. All right. So we all know life can be full of failures. And unless you are sitting on a couch watching TV 24 seven, which I would label as failing, (laughs) the more you put yourself out there, the more risk of failure over your journey. What has been um, some struggles or failures that you've overcome? And I don't know. You're so driven and stuff. Maybe you haven't had any (laughs) competitive. (sighs) So one of my, I actually worked for a small firm in Clarksville right out of law school. Well, the fall following the the bar exam. And I was there for about a month and uh, ended up 
parting ways with that firm because I was also looking into trying to get a judicial clerkship where you work for a judge for like a year. And my boss found out about that and wasn't too happy about mm. it. <laughs> so that was a, a major uh, disappointment for me um, because it was my first job out of yeah. law school. It lasted a month. Uh, and so then it took me a minute to find really? another legal job because uh, most folks wanted experience. Well, how do you get experience if no one will give you a job? And so it took. And you obviously can't add that. I had a month job <laughs> on that. It was kind of like didn't exist, right? Like, yeah, that job yeah. didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so it took me, I believe, like seven months. Okay. Yeah, about seven months before I found my next job, which was with the state, but a um, different agency than mm-hmm. what I'm, than I'm with now. And so that was a, a disappointment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so could you have done both or did that basically state well, that if you did that, you would not be as involved in your current job, I guess. Well, what some folks did was like, there were people who went to firms, but they had, and most firms will see a, would see a clerkship as like a great thing. Okay. And so you would go to your clerkship and then you would come back mm. to your firm. But that really wasn't a thing at the firm that I was at. It was really small. And so okay. I tried to explain that and that just didn't go over. Gotcha. They're like, you've been here a month and you're already <laughs> yeah, wanting to you're leave for a and new come job? back. Like, right. what? Um, all right. So um, you, like me, grew up in an age where social media did not exist so (laughs) how does it affect your life social media and then uh you know what's your opinions on technology with the kids well with running a campaign i have to be on social media Mm -hmm. so i have to have a strong social media presence so it's an everyday all day thing for me right now uh prior to running for office i did facebook Mm -hmm. um i didn't do any instagram or twitter and any of that like i do now and mostly there's a mom group that I'm a part of on Facebook. So I do most of my interaction with my mom, my fellow moms in that group. Regular Facebook can be annoying and with any social media because everyone has access to it and mm-hmm. everyone has an opinion and sometimes their opinions don't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it just gives, um, you know, everyone has access to it so you can be as mean as you want to be uh, on social media without much repercussions Mm -hmm. because you know you're anonymous or you can be anonymous also misinformation spreads very quickly Mm -hmm. on social media so it makes it kind of a double-edged sword because on the one hand you can get out information really quickly get people informed but if it's misinformation it can have some pretty disastrous consequences. Is, yeah. yeah, really tough. No one pays attention to the retraction. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to really believe this. But yeah, that probably didn't happen. Yeah. You know? And uh, with my kids, it's kind of I really don't regulate screen time. I, I pay attention to how how they are. So if they were, you know, if they never wanted to go outside or do anything other than, you know, watch tv or watch a tablet i would be concerned but you know they have their tablets but you know they have an opportunity to go outside they want to go outside Mm -hmm. uh if we're going i mean chuck e cheese trumps tablets every day Mm -hmm. right (laughs) yeah Yeah, so it's like you gauge that (laughs) hey we're going to chuck e cheese no 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 all right we got a tablet problem (laughs) we're going to have an intervention with the tablets 
yeah well, that's, that's good you're just kind of being in tune with your yeah, kids you know yeah, like I pay, not so yeah. controlling but just in tune right, of like right and know. then obviously you know i'm watching and listening out for what they're actually looking at to make mm-hmm. sure it's nothing crazy right um is there crazy stuff that they can <laughs> no, i'm just kidding yeah there's a lot in there unfortunately yeah there's a yeah, lot yeah all right. Well, good. Good. So, uh, well, and we're entering. So Bryce will be in middle school, mm-hmm. and he has. We actually have never really just bought them any electronics. Mm-hmm. They'll use like if we go on trips. Like actually, I got fingerprints all on this, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I got we got a couple of phones, and so we're you know going all right. Middle school. Do we give him a phone? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, great thing is you can obviously limit so much and going all right. If you need a phone for convenience for us here it is you mm-hmm. know and everything else is locked now yeah so uh you know we're we're exploring that you know it's like you don't want them to be feel left behind but at the same right. time you know right. there's that balance um but yeah i like what you said it's just gauging you know their activity all right let's talk about focus okay um again you know reading everything you're a part of i'm like wow um and now um with you like how have you had to narrow down your focus lately mm-hmm. as you're running for council person of district two that has been a challenge uh clearly my my focus is running my race my council race um and then i have i've kind of scaled back some on the other organizations because prior to running i sit on the boards of eight different organizations and so like one term is winding down and I, you know, you get the question, oh, what do you want to do next year? It's like, I can't do anything next year. Like I'm, I'm, I'm focused on this race. And so mm-hmm. that's going away and a couple of other things are going away. So I'm narrowing down what I participate in so that I can uh, focus on my council race and still pay attention to my children right. <laughs> and my right. husband. He counts too. Yeah. <laughs> you got to give him an hour a week, right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it has definitely been a challenge because I still have a lot of responsibilities um, in other organizations because I hold leadership positions in those right. organizations. But I've definitely been mindful of my time and trying to wind down some things so that I can focus on, on mm-hmm. running my race yeah yeah and then obviously accept that some sometimes it's just gonna have to be busier in this area oh, yeah. over oh, this yeah. area you know? yes absolutely um all right so if the listeners that are discouraged due to their environment their culture just life in general how would you encourage them to pick their heads up and go make a difference instead of letting life pass them by i believe in hope i was at a at a uh, meeting last night and there was a a pastor that spoke at the end and he talked about um hope and how that renews people i think that you always have to hold on to this sense that things can be better as long as you are breathing you can impact your life and so i would tell people to, to hold on to hope we all experience different things you know as a child who you know grew up you know in poverty there were a lot of bad days but there were some good days too and i knew that if i kept going things would get better and so you know even if you're at a low point that's okay know that things can get better you just have to keep moving even if it's just baby steps mm-hmm. and you have to determine what those baby steps are but if you keep moving things are going to get better. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even if you're crawling on your knees, yeah. some movement is better than some no movement. Some movement is better right? than no movement. That's right. All right. So what advice would you give your younger self in regards to parenting, marriage, or law? 
<laughs> don't. Uh, I know the one. Don't, like, if you got a job for a month, don't try to do that other <laughs> thing. <laughs> Please make sure your boss doesn't find out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what advice um, would I give my younger self is that you can't prepare for everything. Some things you just have to deal with as they as they come. Because I, I felt that, you know, I had prepared for marriage, that I prepared for being a parent. But there are so many unpredictables mm-hmm. that you can't prepare for and just be ready to be flexible, mm-hmm. uh, not to be so rigid. So it's OK to have a plan, but have flexibility in your plan. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's I think there's some scripture on that about looking so far ahead, you know, mm-hmm. planning so far ahead. But yet there is that balance that right. you do, you know can't just sit here and just hopefully everything comes to you you know right um all right so from the great words of paul and timothy 4 7 i've fought the good fight i have finished the race i've kept the faith when your journey's over what legacy are you hoping to leave that i was an agent for change that i worked on behalf of everyone regardless of you know, background, socioeconomic status, um, gender or whatever, that I, I I left it all out on the battlefield as far as bringing equity to all parts of the community. Mm-hmm. That, that would be my legacy, being, being a change agent and working towards real equity mm-hmm. for, for marginalized communities. Yeah, which I think is hope kind of defines that, right? That keeps right. pushing you ahead to pushing forward you know right all right cool well we're done with that now i'm gonna ask you a couple questions the um that i call a nashville real estate minute all right so how long have you lived in nashville 20 years 20 years um i say we moved here in 2000 2000 so, yeah close uh what made you choose nashville uh, at the time that I came here for college, it was far enough away that my parents couldn't just drop in, but close enough where I can go home if I needed to. Mm-hmm. So Decatur is north of um, Atlanta, is that right? Or where's it? I'm, I'm not good with directions. Okay, somewhere <laughs> it's drive. not that far from Atlanta, maybe like 10 minutes. My um, in-laws live in Fort Valley, Georgia, Okay, uh, which is south of Macon. My uh, father, my father-in-law, yeah, he, he was a animal scientist at Fort Valley State University for like 10 years. Okay. Have you had, uh, you like good Georgia peaches? I do. Have you heard of the peach truck? Yes, I have. I, I had Stephen Rose in here. He's the one, of the, he's the founder of the peach okay. truck. Okay. Yes, those are good peaches. They're really good. Yeah. Like they shoot. And... <laughs> All right. So what community did you land in? You, which you've actually answered most of these, but um, what community did you land in and why that location? And actually, I guess with that, there are obviously other areas that are transitioning mm-hmm. um, that probably have history as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what made you choose that that location over others? As far as where I currently live, mm-hmm. um, living in um, District Two, because there's still it hasn't been developed and taken over as other parts of the city have been. Mm-hmm. So there, the culture is still there and present, and I wanted to be a part of preserving it. Okay. And then, so District 2, I know I can probably just map it, but, like, what what's the area as defined so as? So, going back down Rosa Parks, mm-hmm. Metro Center yep. is District 2. Then going down to um, Clarksville Highway, like, going around the river. Okay. Um, if you go up to, do you know where the cemetery is going towards yes. Buchanan? So, mm-hmm. it stops right there. Okay. And then coming back, it 
it goes up to um you and dry yep yep so okay gotcha. all that is distributed. all right so um so tell me a, a great memory that you often share about nashville one of my favorite memories was a prince concert that i went to uh it was at municipal auditorium and the way they had the because i like i don't like to sit on the floor because i'm short and everybody stands up you can't mm-hmm. see so i like to get on that first set of raised right. seats right uh and so that's what i did but the way they had it set up was that there was only like three rows of chairs in front of my section so I ended up being like super close mm. to the stage, like folks around me, we kept saying, we can't believe how great these seats are. And so I had these really great seats um, to an awesome concert mm-hmm. put on by Prince. So that's one of my favorite Nashville memories. I'm not obligated to talk about the birth of my children, am I? Am I supposed to say that? Oh, you can. Well, oh, no, no, no. You know, you're not obligated. Of course, those are wonderful yeah. memories. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My, my wife's were kind of, you know, this one was great. This one, ah, this one was easy. Um, they were all different. Um, yeah, we saw Prince and Little Rock, my wife and I. Mm-hmm. It was a good concert. All right, so uh, what do you look for in a good real estate agent? Someone who is responsive, uh, who... Really understands the area, who is um, really patient and in, in guiding his or her clients through the process. So our last real estate agent was really good, who helped us move um, to our area. It's actually a college classmate of mine, um, Jeremy Banks, and he helped us get through the process and was very considerate. Just made sure everything went smoothly, and so yeah. All right, that's the best cool. Thing. All right, so what advice would you give someone looking to move to Nashville? come to live in uh, district two <laughs> that's the best area we still have some we have uh still do have affordable um housing available in, in our district a very historic area a beautiful um great community so anyone looking to move to nashville would really enjoy um the area other than that i would say um Make sure you explore all your options um, as far as like what part of the city you want to live in, uh, how close you need to be to work. As far as like a lot of folks um, talk about the schools, Mm -hmm. but I would say don't just look at test scores. Actually talk to parents and teachers and the principal of the schools before you decide on on what area is is best for your child. That really gives you a Mm -hmm. sense of of how a school is as opposed to just looking yeah. at some scores. Yeah, agreed. And, I, and even even within that, like talking to multiple people that have had different teachers because, you know, we found in schools that, like I'm in Mount Juliet, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you've had some people with really bad experiences with this specific teacher. Mm-hmm. And yet, and then our kids had a teacher, and it's like, that's totally fine, you know. <laughs> so, there's so there can be so mm-hmm. many variables right, in that. right in those relationships that can make or break or, you know, that experience. So, right. Um, okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me in the Rambler. That's it. Um, tell the audience how they can connect with you. Uh, you can actually, I have a website. It's www.toomsfortwo.com. Toomsfortwo.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at toomsfortwo. All right, cool. Well, thanks, and have fun with this season. So, when's all the when will it wind down? When's the voting? And Election stuff? day is August first. Okay. Early voting is July twelfth through the twenty seventh. 
So, you know, it'd be nice if they'd actually make it like more in the spring or fall. So when you're out knocking on doors and stuff, it's not like <laughs> August and July, right? It's going to be warm. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for joining me. Thank you. Well, were you as impressed as I was with the knowledge that Quante has attained and can express over the mic? Um, make sure to... Uh, Check her out if you're in North Nashville, if you're a voter. Obviously, that's a big passion of what she does is getting the word out that people have a voice. Um, and I do love that part. Mariah Cole, um, at the time, Mariah Williams now, um, she's one that had introduced me to Quante. She's a part of the Equity Alliance as well. And so, I, I, you know, I just love what they're doing, you know, getting a message. There's a lot of change going on in Nashville, a lot of uh, community development, and uh, sometimes people feel they just have to go along with the flow, but that's not always the case. We have a voice, and and sometimes it needs to be heard a lot louder than it is to make sure that all parties are being heard and that it's a good decision for all. Make sure to check her out on show notes. The sponsors for the podcast are the one and only me, Andrew Buckwalter with Buckwalter Impact Group of Benchmark Realty. If you have any real estate needs in Nashville, if you're looking to buy or sell or looking for investment properties, make sure to give me a shout. I love doing the podcast. I love meeting new people. I love sharing the stories and sharing what others are doing in Nashville. But first of all, I love real estate. So I am here to help you. If you have any lender needs, make sure to give Brandon Hutchison a shout with Legacy Mutual. And if you are in need of a good title, David Weber with Limestone Title and Escrow would love to have your business. Next week, Moat, also known as Joe Schneider, will be joining me in the Rambler. He is a singer-songwriter based in Nashville. He has a new EP coming out called Get the Door. Originally planned to be created over the course of a year, a serious illness sidelined Joe from a blossoming career for over a year, setting into motion a period of obvious challenges and unavoidable atmosphere of reflection, where some might find an easy escape in the bitterness of a roadblock of this nature, Get the Door serves as proof of the unwavering optimism of Moat and its center point, Joe Snyder. I know you will enjoy hearing some of his story, hearing some insight from a songwriter, but also hearing the challenges that he had to overcome to uh, get back into the studios and finish this EP. So we had a great time hanging out. Make sure to check out the show notes again for uh, more info on Quante. And thanks again for uh, your time listening to Nashville Untold. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And also feel free to share on social media, word of mouth, wherever, whenever, however you feel is appropriate. So until next week, have a great one. Hello, I'm Ivory Lane in the lovely studio camper, and I'm about to play you my song, Committed. Not asking for diamonds, not craving no gold, 
would I like living in the city on my own? Not trying to box you in, no chains and no rope. I like being free and flying when I want. I know we've only started, but I've been here before. And having fun is harmless Until someone else wants some more And now I don't wanna scare you And make you turn and run But I'm not really in this just for fun So don't let me call you up if your heart's not in it Don't let me fall in love if you're not committed Don't let me call you if your heart's not in it, your heart's not in it. If you're not committed, committed. If you want me, then tell me where you think we'll go. Even children know to ask for what they want. And if it's all games, there's no blame to you I hope you find someone who wants to play along with you oh, Cause I know we've only started, but I've been here before And I gotta keep guarding my front doors Don't let me call you up if your heart's not in it I'm not looking for a lifetime right now I'm too young for that stuff I've been hurt before, burned before And I don't wanna do it no more So don't let me call you up Don't let me fall in love Oh, don't let me call you your heart's not in it. If you're not committed, don't let me call you up. If your heart's not in it, don't let me fall in love. If you're not committed, don't let me call you up. If your heart's not in it, your heart's not in it. If you're not committed, committed.
We hope you've enjoyed listening to Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter. We encourage you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. To be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts, send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com. Until next time, 